My ambition after that trip to the Highlands was simply to see if Tasmania could make a really good single malt whiskey. We don't expect everyone to like these wines, so yes, there's some risk. Drink more sherry, because that's when you can really educate yourself on what happens in maturation. The thing is with Australian that is you put them in a gin, the aftertaste invariably is just bitter and unpalatable. I think the Irish whiskey landscape is going to be wildly different over the next five years. This is the Drinks Adventures podcast. I'm James Atkinson, and this is the show where I speak to some of the world's most exciting producers of beer, wine and spirits, and uncover trends and issues in the drinks industry today. Sydney's Archie Rose Distilling Company has launched an entirely new range of spirits that aims to offer a more accessible alternative to the mainstream brands that dominate the Australian market. Head distiller Dave Withers returns to the Drinks Adventures podcast to tell us about the new fundamental spirits offering. It includes true cut vodka, straight dry gin, and double malt whiskey. They're designed to be a spirits base for your favourite mixed drinks, and they're priced at between $55 and $85 each for a 700ml bottle. I'm sure I don't need to tell you that this is pretty sharp pricing for Aussie spirits. This is a special episode of Drinks Adventures, produced in partnership with Archie Rose. First up, Dave explains what inspired the company's ambitious move to take on the imported products that still account for more than 90% of these spirit categories in Australia. When we started Archie Rose, it was all about, you know, creating that occasionality and creating drinks for different occasions. So, you know, this whole idea of the multi-spirits, kind of the multi-category kind of thing, not many people were doing it or there was a lot of people at sort of small sort of craft scales doing it. And we really wanted to take the scale up and we wanted to sort of have that multi-category kind of focus as a key component. Most people thought we were crazy. Like they just said, don't do it, you know, go focus on one thing and make that the the main game but we just couldn't bring ourselves to that because we love all spirits and there are some days when you know you just really want to settle into an armchair with like a whiskey and other days where you know it's bright and sunny out and you want to be enjoying a jeans hey or whatever that is and so we wanted to celebrate that but we also felt that for a long time that there was something really important in not just having Archie Rose drunk as a special occasion drink, as something where there was an occasion for it, kind of, you know, at a barbecue or, you know, with a bit more of a sort of casual setting. And so we felt for a long time that there was something really important in kind of looking at a range of spirits that operated at a slightly different price point and had a different function, had a different meaning to people. And so, yeah, we've actually been toying with this idea for probably the better part of four or five years now. It just wasn't possible at our Rosemary Distillery. Firstly, I mean, we just didn't have the capacity. And so in scaling up to our Banks Manor Distillery, we were able to talk to suppliers about better price points. We were able to find efficiencies in the process and improve quality and do all of those kind of things that are really important to being sort of a a larger producer of spirits. And so this fundamentals range at that price point is a function of that. It's being able to cut a better deal with the, the malt supplier or the, or the botanical supplier or whatever and being able to pass that kind of saving and that value on to the consumer. It's something we've been working on for a while and, yeah, we're really, the team is so amped for it. We're really, really excited. You kind of mentioned the consumer retail occasions 
for this, but it sounds like it's very on-premise focused and, and the idea is to have an Australian-made alternative to, you know, the ubiquitous brands that we see as first pour spirits in the pubs and bars that are most often going to be mixed with post-mix soft drinks. Yeah, look, it was definitely about trying to find Australian spirits that could operate at a price point to compete with some of the larger international brands. And so it's not just about an on-premise play. It's not just about having it being able to be used as first pause or, you know, in the well or whatever. It's also about, you know, that direct-to-consumer as well. You know, obviously there's a lot of worry at the moment out there about, you know, inflation and cost of living and all of this sort of stuff. And so in a way, being able to kind of bring in at that lower price point, it gives that people that ability to have that affordable luxury. They can drink Australian spirits at that price point, whereas before you might be having to pay up to, you know, $75, $80 for an Australian gin. Now you can be paying, you know, $65 or perhaps even under. So it's it's really trying to to break that price barrier and bring new people into the category. So you can trade up from one of the big foreign brands now for an Australian gin, and, and if you like it, then you might find that a gateway to spending the big bucks on a, on a super premium gin or vodka. Well, let's run through them. So True Cut Vodka, how do you make that one? And what does True Cut actually mean? So the True Cut Vodka is kind of our ode to a neutral style vodka. I think it's not widely understood, but a lot of the sort of big vodka brands in your bottle is not just sort of neutral spirit. Of course, there is neutral spirit and water in there and they, you know, carbon filter or whatever it is that that sort of process looks like for that producer. But there's very typically like glycerins and uh, sugars and uh, mineral additives and other kind of stuff in that bottle. And I think, you know, if you look back a few years ago now, it was maybe even in close to a decade, there was, I think in some European markets, you know, some of the bigger brands that sort of had the, the lid lifted on this and there were a few bartenders that got pretty upset and there were sort of posts on Facebooks with, you know, these particular brands, bottles being sort of decanted into the sink and, you know, photos of them sort of being emptied out because they felt that they were being really cheated. For us, when we came up with TrueCut, it's sort of a very similar profile to what we did with our the now discontinued original vodka. It was about going back to 100% natural ingredients. So what we're trying to do with this vodka is we're trying to, rather than cut it with you know glycerins and sugars and minerals and all the rest of it, is cut it with pure botanical distillates and add that mouthfeel, add that slightly nuanced flavour to, to the spirit. So that's kind of the idea. It's, it's a neutral vodka with a very slight botanical influence in the place of, you know, lab-based or chemical-based kind of additives. The average consumer who's drinking a vodka, lime and soda, I think there's some statistic around like 85% of all vodka sold in bars is that that's how it's consumed. You know, do they want these botanical distillates in their, in their vodka, lime and soda? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really great question. I think... For this style of vodka, I really don't think you would find too much botanical distillate flavour in there. It's very much in the nuance and in the background. All we're trying to do is use a natural kind of alternative to to some of those sort of additives to give the same appeal and mouthfeel and flavour profile that you would get from a neutral style of vodka, you know, as a sort of standard offering. We, of course, do have a native botanical vodka where we're sort of really dialed that botanical flavour up, but that's not what this purpose 
is it is as you say you know designed you know for your espresso martinis for your for your vodka lime and sodas for all those kind of more neutral serves that's what that's what this vodka is all about Moving on to actually talking about the botanical ingredients of the gin. To start with, you know, what is a straight dry gin? That's not a terminology that I've really heard before. Yeah, look, we tossed around with the name quite a bit and it was an interesting process. What we wanted to sort of express with this is, you know, the term straight sort of refers to, you know, some of that Australiana kind of slang of, you know, it's straight up. It's sort of, it's straight down the line. It's giving you something which is a good value product. It's giving you a lot of character, but at the same time, there aren't bells and whistles on there. We're not talking about super fancy hand forage botanicals from, you know, a local microclimate. What we're talking about here is traditional botanicals with a native Australian twist. And so for us, it's sort of straight down the line. It's giving you, it does what it says on the tin and it gives you that kind of value. So the ingredients we're using are um, a number of the traditional ones. We're still using our Macedonian juniper, which we distill two ways, under atmosphere and under vacuum. We're using coriander seed, which we source from a single estate in South Australia, which we also vacuum distill. We're using orris root, which is another traditional botanical. And we're also using what we call reclaimed orange. So this was a nice kind of learning from Rosebury where on that sort of scale, when we used to make our orange distillate, we would basically buy in whole cases of, of oranges and we would peel the oranges fresh and then kind of put that orange in the botanical basket. And it give you this really lovely flavor. But what we found was that you would end up with all of this orange flesh. You know, look, we all got a vitamin C boost that day with all the orange juice we drank, but it was actually just seemed wasteful that we were sort of buying this really top quality oranges and we were sort of, the, the flesh itself, we sort of didn't have a really great home for it. And so what we ended up doing was we ended up going back the food chain and basically saying, well, okay, so orange juicing companies, uh, when oranges are in season, they're basically buying all these oranges and you know they, they're wanting that juice. The peel, it's a byproduct for them. It's not important. So what we did was we approached a few people and we basically said, hey, if we can grab that peel before you go and juice this, there's a value stream here for you. So you can make money off this and otherwise you're literally paying to throw it away. And we get a product which is you know, quite sustainable and quite economical. And so that kind of worked for everyone and that's what we use for this gym. So we kind of tagged it reclaimed. Um, God knows what else we would call it, but that's sort of how we've gone about that. We also use lemon myrtle in this gin and the lemon myrtle was a really important kind of moment for us. So there's a lot of gins out there that use lemon myrtle. What is different for us is we've felt for quite some time that there's a real importance in having a relationship back to the land and having a relationship back to the grower. And so in this case, you know, there's some very large farms that are making dried lemon myrtle that, you know, can make some really great gins. There was just a much more soulful, charismatic distillate that could be made from the fresh lemon myrtle. And so what you see with a dry lemon myrtle is typically this really very sweet kind of lemon flavor. What we get with the 
fresh lemon myrtle is more a sort of green waxy lemon. There's still some sweetness there, but it's just got a little bit more nuance and character. And so at the moment we're working with one particular farm um, in sort of northern New South Wales that has a fair bit of this. And, you know, that's working really well for us. This is a, a classic traditional style London dry gin with an Australian overture, with an Australian kind of twist to it. But presumably, yeah, the flavour profile is such that it'll it'll substitute in very easily for some of those imported gins. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, look, it does really, really well in martinis particularly. You know, we, we're big fans around here of gin and soda or a 50-50 with tonic. You get a really strong sort of push of that juniper, coriander, um, citrus kind of flavour uh, when you do that. So, yeah, it definitely stands up to the international brands. Now, moving on to whiskey. So a double malt whiskey. So can I assume from that name that both of the whiskies that have been combined, the single malt and rye malt whiskey, they've both been pot distilled? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. For us, it was, again, this kind of idea, and we toyed with very early on, basically buying in a grain spirit and sort of blending it with our, with our product. You know, we have so much flexibility in the kit we have, and we, we go pretty deep on the grain already. So, for example, for our rye, we have three different types of rye that we use, uh, different varieties all grown in New South Wales um, or Australia. We use one which was going to give us a really strong fruit profile, another one that gives us this really lovely biscuity sort of flavour, and another one that gives us a lovely sort of spice and sort of nutty flavour. And so by being able to even manage the flavour profile in-house by using a different blend of these kind of different types of grain, we already have a lot of levers to pull. If the only reason that we were going to get sort of grain spirit, bring it into the distillery and mature it is for the economy of it. That didn't feel like a really great way to go about it. For us, it was really important to be able to manage the profile all in-house and be able to offer the consumer something which is effectively like a blended malt whiskey and would be able to compete with, you know, some of the larger blended malt whiskies out there in the marketplace and really just give the consumer a bit more value. You know, these are sort of premium products, both the rye malt and single malt, which are being sort of brought together to give a really good value proposition. So it's about the occasionality as well. We also felt we wanted to create a drink that um, in the rail could serve either as a replacement or substitution for a bourbon or a replacement or substitution for a blended or single malt whiskey. And so by bringing these two sort of worlds together of the rye malt and the single malt, we feel that we're going to be able to really offer offer that to the consumer and to the bartender as well. And this isn't just some extra stock of good whiskey that you, you happen to uh, have hanging around, the, the accidental merging of single malt and rye malt that got released earlier this year. No, definitely not. That was um, that was only a small amount of that. <laughs> yeah, no, that was um, that was a good bit of fun. 
That was a good bit of fun. No, for us, this is only stock that's going to be released from Banks Meadow, which look, it'll be it'll be coming online shortly. But yeah, it's, it's far more deliberate. And we've had this plan from the outset for the last sort of four to five years. It's not some uh, accidental seller hand <laughs> blend that <laughs> occurred by um, spontaneously. It's very, very deliberate. I, I figured that was the case. I was um, just having a bit of a joke <laughs> there. But what about the, the, you know, the maturation profile? How does that differ to your other whiskies? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're using for the single malt whiskey that will go into this blend, we're using a little bit of ex-bourbon barrel, but we're also using a pair of barrels as well. So for us, it's about probably making that spirit a little bit more hardworking, which is if you're if you're using a pair of barrels, which are, you know, look, they're an expensive barrel, but also, you know, they're a much deeper sort of flavor profile, much richer and rounder. That sort of more puts you in the kind of realm of what you would what you would want for a sipping whiskey which is great and hopefully this double malt can also serve that purpose as well but what we needed to do was we needed to make the profile approachable enough that it could be used in cocktails that it could be used in you know mixes with you know whether it's ginger ale or cola or whatever it is and so to do that we needed a little bit of that ex-bourbon sort of focus the virgin American oak that we use in the rye malt is pretty much consistent, so there hasn't really been too much change there. We're just using some portions of the barrels that would otherwise be destined for the rye malt whiskey and kind of yeah, bringing them together, sort of marrying them together with some of that ex-bourbon and a pair of barrels to really yeah, drive home that really approachable and sort of you know, round flavour. So if I was to taste that, am I going to be able to identify it as being a blend in the same vein as a scotch or a, or more of a bourbon style whiskey or does it really just feel like it's somewhere in the middle of the two yeah it should have a deeper flavor than a blended whiskey um should give you more of the grain character obviously you're sort of aware james we do a fair bit with the malt and we sort of feel that that's a part of the process that needs to be celebrated and so hopefully we can really we can really deliver that you should be able to taste the the malt itself whether that's the rye the spice some of the spice that comes with that rye the herbaceousness that comes with some of it the fruitiness that comes from something like pale malt you should be able to taste some of that sort of you know caramel and you know roasted nuts dried fruits and chocolate flavor that we're sort of getting from some of the malts that we use in the single malt so there should be a lot more going on than what you would find in a sort of very traditional blended whiskey hopefully as well we can we can really offer a flavor profile that is is deep and rich and complex and a complexity that you wouldn't get from either a sort of standard single malt whiskey from sort of traditional markets or traditional producers and equally the same more approachable profile than you would get from a traditional sort of rye whiskey um, from sort of traditional producers. Now the, the bottles are very different to Archie Rose's other products. Has there been a lot of thought going to those? The branding in the bottle were really 
we took a long time and our marketing team has done a really great job kind of really understanding that process. We engaged uh, some designers who were sort of half based in Australia, half based in New York, because we really felt that we wanted this particular range to be able to have a very world perspective and us not to have just be limited to, to the local market. So what we did was we basically took the silhouette of our typical range and we basically extended it. We sort of elongated it to make it taller. Part of that was because we really felt that we wanted this bottle to be able to sit in a a bar rail. That was really important to us. But we also felt as well that we wanted to lighten the glass up. We wanted to make this product feel less like the sort of bottle that you grab only in a special occasion this is a little bit more of a casual serve it's one that you know we encourage you to you know really get it behind and just kind of has an all-purpose kind of drink rather than the one that you sort of hide at the back of the liquor cabinet and hope your friends don't spot because you don't really want to bring it out this is the sharing bottle and so we felt that we needed to reflect that in the actual bottle shape and silhouette so it is the same silhouette but it's sort of you know, a bit more hardworking. And also in the branding as well, I mean, there was a lot of discussions that were had about what does this branding need to look like? Is it Archie Rose still or should it be a separate sort of brand? We felt quite strongly that it needed to be Archie Rose, that we were producing it and we needed to stand behind this. We needed to give it that authentic kind of understanding for the consumer. And so we did that, but we also felt that we didn't want to make it too confusing for the consumer as well, that, okay, what is this? Is this is this a product that is sits alongside our, what we call our signature range, so our signature dry gin and, you know, original vodka, our single malt and our rye malt and all those kind of things? It needed to sit on its own tier. And so that's why we kind of brought in this kind of idea of fundamentals. And so it's a fundamental spirits range it kind of sits in its own little price tier and they each have their own name and a sort of, you know, commonality of design, which does slightly separate it from from the rest of the, the products we have out, out there in the market, but we're still putting Archie Rose front and centre on the label. And so that was really important for us was that people knew it was Archie Rose. It stood for quality. It stood for authenticity and all of those things that we, we find really important, like innovation, but at the same time that it was more accessible for people. Now, Dave, no rum in the range. Are there any plans to take on the big polar bear? (laughs) Um, (laughs) I would love to. (laughs) Look, we're doing a white cane spirit at the moment in our core range. And look, it's actually one that is doing very well for us, um, which was quite surprising. I think that we would probably need to install a little bit more equipment to be able to meet the price point on this. But yeah, we would love to get involved in the rum space itself. I mean, it's it's one where I think that there's there's a groundswell of enthusiasm from producers and consumers, and you know, I think the category worldwide is sort of growing up a little bit as well, which is really great. But yeah, there's no no firm plans on the horizon at the moment. Okay, no worries. Well, maybe just finally, Dave, you could tell us where people can find it. It's direct from Archie Rose. And is there also going to be some distribution out in other retail channels? 
Yeah, direct from us, it'll be in national chains, I believe BWS, Dan Murphy's. Quite a few top bars are kind of getting behind as well. So yeah, hopefully you'll see it on the rails and out in the wild um, on the big chains. I was still chatting to a few of the indie guys who we love to support, so hopefully they'll get behind it as well. Fantastic, Dave. Well, um, yeah, congrats on, on the launch of Fundamental Spirits and look forward to trying them. Thanks, mate. Thank you.